and welcome to SNESCAPADES, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time. We play them briefly, we judge them harshly, and we rank them. That's pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. I am ME Zero. And we have got a trio of games for you guys today, just kind of all over the place. We've got licensed games. We've got horror-adjacent games. We've got hockey. Uh, just really, what more could you want? Yeah, nothing, really. That's the breadth of human experience right there, I think. And we are now into a new month. We are now in... December 1992, we have made it almost all the way through the Super Nintendo's first full 12-month calendar year on the market. So I guess for the last time for 1992, we're going to kick things over to Newsy really quick. Remember that guy? Newsy! It's December 1992! A few good men opens in theaters this month and goes on to grow so for $141 million. It would earn four Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, but win none of them. Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You remains number one on Billboard's Hot 100 and will stay there until March. And UN Security Council Resolution 794 is unanimously passed, approving a coalition of United Nations peacekeepers led by the United States to form UNITAF, tasked with ensuring humanitarian aid gets distributed in an attempt at establishing peace in Somalia. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. Thank you, Newsy. Ah, it is always so good to hear from him. Speaking of uh, people like Newsy, A Few Good Men. Certainly you've seen that movie, uh, if nothing else, on like TNT or something. Oh yeah, absolutely. I bought a DVD of that movie in the like $2 bargain bin at uh, Walmart when I was in college because I had never seen it. It sure is an Aaron Sorkin courtroom drama. <laughs> I assume it's the, the first big thing that Aaron Sorkin did that anybody saw. And it stars Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. Uh, and Jack Nicholson, of course. Of course. You can't handle the truth. It's an interesting movie. I haven't watched it in a very long time. I assume it is pushing some pretty outdated opinions about things. The movie is essentially about a trial about a hazing gone very wrong that ends up with somebody dead at a military academy. I mean, from what I remember of it, I enjoyed it. I think it might still hold up, kind of. I certainly don't think it necessarily paints the military in, like, the best light. No, it doesn't. So I, I think in that way, maybe it's actually kind of kind of progressive a little bit. Like, you definitely didn't see a lot of movies taking pot shots at the military very often back then. Aaron Sorkin's whole thing was progressive up to a point, And for this time period, it was probably very progressive. But yeah, good performances, some good speeches. It's a Rob Reiner-directed movie. You know, I don't know that I'd put it up there with, like, his best work but it's it's pretty good in that way so i remember liking it pretty well though and then we've got whitney houston i you know this is gonna end up being a problem a lot i think next year as i was just kind of peeking ahead with one song or you know two songs by the same artist uh, particularly boys to men just absolutely dominating the charts for long periods of time um we might need to have newsy do something else music related just so that we've got a little bit more to talk about. We may need to talk to him about that, have him dig into some some other bits of, of music history for, for those segments. Maybe like a, a prominent album that came out or something like that. It's probably smart. The Crisis in Somalia, do you remember this at all? I have to confess, I really don't. Um, I was very young when this happened, and I didn't have anything in my like kind of personal life that 
connected me to it in any way. So, so no, I, I did not remember this happening. I do remember this pretty vividly just because we were making a pretty big deal about it at the elementary school that I was going to. We were doing like fundraisers to, you know, donate money to the relief effort and stuff like that. I'm way outside of my depth here. I do not know a lot about this. I just remember it being a thing. So, you know, honestly, I probably shouldn't even talk too much about it. Hey, let's talk about some video games. Uh, let's talk let's about some what, video games. What do we have up first, actually? Um, lethal Weapon first? Sure, let's do it. Let's just get Lethal Weapon over with. You all probably know what Lethal Weapon is. It's a franchise whose primary quadrilogy of movies were released in 1987, 1989, 1992, and 1998. And it also had a TV series from 2016 to 2019. Did you know this? No, I did not know there was a Lethal Weapon TV series. There was a Lethal Weapon TV series. You know who played Murtaugh in that? Who played Murtaugh in the TV series? Damon Wayans. Really? That's very strange. I forget the actor who played Riggs when I was looking this up, but apparently he did not get along with Wayans, and they killed him off in the TV. They killed off Riggs in the Lethal Weapon TV series and replaced him with another character played by Sean William Scott. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Dang. Anyway, so uh, the series primarily revolves around uh, Detective Murtaugh, who's in the film played by Danny Glover, dealing with his somewhat unhinged younger partner Riggs played by um uh oh I forget his name that uh, that right wing anti-semite guy that that guy you know the one yeah yeah you know so this game is actually based on Lethal Weapon 3 despite the title and uh takes some elements from that movie although in true movie based video game fashion this also creates a lot of new story elements for the sake of creating more game to play so I mean I I admit I I don't believe I've actually seen Lethal Weapon 3 but, like, as far as I can tell, the main thing that this does have that even references Lethal Weapon 3 is the, like, JPEG image of Riggs, Murtaugh, and the Joe Pesci character. Leo. Yes, that's right. That that you see upon starting the game up. The locations in it, I guess, probably are taken from Lethal Weapon 3, but the pretext for being in them is so generic that it could just be, like, any lethal weapon themed adventure happening here i think that the game does eventually get into more plot specific lethal weapon 3 elements later on like i think the big bad from lethal weapon 3 is the actual boss of the game and things like that okay i'm gonna admit i have not really seen any of the lethal weapon movies all the way through except for the fourth one this game was made by ocean i'm pretty sure we've brought them up before and we will almost certainly bring them up again but you know i'll I'll just kind of go over the basics here they were founded as spectrum games in 1982 in manchester england changed their name to ocean because the zx spectrum became a thing and they felt like maybe that'll be confusing for people so they changed it to ocean and uh, a lot of their early work was those great arcade clones that we've mentioned many many times before (laughs) and this case is actually really funny because after they changed their name they reissued a lot of those games under different titles so now they were like clones of clones Oh, boy. Okay. 1984 was a pretty big year for Ocean as they acquired the Liverpool-based studio Imagine and started focusing more on the publishing side of the games industry. They inked a deal to publish some of Konami's games on home computers. And more relevant to this discussion, uh, they snagged some of their first movie licenses that year, which included Rambo and Short Circuit. Oh, man. Big ones there. Licensed games became a big part of Ocean's output. 
Were a lot of these games very good? Eh, not really. But to a lot of kids, that didn't matter, as getting to play as some of your favorite characters from movies and TV shows, despite the sometimes dubious quality of the games, meant that these things still sold pretty well. And, like, I can kind of understand that. You know, like, it takes me back to playing the Ninja Turtles arcade game, which actually was a very fun game. But, like, the big draw of that was, like, getting together with the three friends and being like, okay, we're the Ninja Turtles. And, like, yeah, 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 I, I can see why all these licensed things did really well. Um, I think people got over that, you know, after a while. And now it's almost the opposite. People assume that licensed games are maybe not as good. Although I think we're seeing a course correction on that, you know, with, with things like the yeah the Batman Arkham series and Sony Spider-Man that came out last year. Oh, was it last yeah. year or the year before? Uh, it was the year before, yeah. Okay. But, but yeah, who knows what time is anyway, anymore. Yeah, that's true. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we're now past the point where, like, they just make licensed games for, like, any new movie that comes out. Which pretty much means that, like, there's a good chance if a game is being made with a licensed property, it's it's being made as a game first and not as a, a thing to tie into, like, a larger merchandising operation. Ocean would release its final game on the Nintendo 64. The story gets a little bit muddy here as to uh, what happened to them, as different websites have different accounts of that. Most accounts have them merging with French developer Infogrames in 1996, uh, though Giant Bombs Wiki claims that that didn't happen until 98. I feel like, and then they merged with Infogrames is, like, the end of the story for so many European developers. <laughs> I don't even think we've really had a chance to dive into infogrames yet either not really yeah yeah uh, we will eventually in any case they also had some dealings with digital image design did ocean was publishing a lot of games for did who had some issues once infogrames came into the picture and became ocean's parent company which caused them to actually split off and join uh, another company called rage pictures in any case, as I said, it's been the end game for a lot of companies uh, that we've discussed on the show. Numerous mergers and acquisitions would end the brand, although the studio itself still exists, apparently, now is Bandai Namco Entertainment UK. So that should give wow, you some idea. Wow, that's such a journey. Yeah, right? Good lord. Lethal Weapon, the game. How do you feel about this one? I don't feel great about it. It's, you know, we were talking before the show that, like, one of the themes that we're probably going to come back to a few times in this episode is just, like, wishing the games were a little bit better, because then they could have been really quite good. And that's, I think, very true of this game. So this is a side-scrolling platformer with uh, a little bit of shooting in it, almost Almost a little bit Mega Man-y, I guess, in that sense. But basically, you're given the option to select one of a few different levels to start with from basically going into different doors in the police station. You can also switch which character you're controlling. You can control either Riggs or Murtaugh. They're pretty much the same. I think there's a few differences. I think one of them shoots a little bit faster and the other one can jump a little bit higher. Is that correct? Yes. Those are the only differences as far as I know. Regardless, both characters can complete really any level in this game. And the levels themselves are large, you know, linearly laid out, but fairly elaborately structured levels where you kind of crisscross back and forth and in the the first level the level the game kind of calls level one you're going through a construction site and you are basically going to the right you go up you go back and then you go across sort of 
the top of the construction site on like a series of moving girders that you can unfortunately fall off of and end up sort of back down at the beginning of the level again. The controls are not great. I would say they're pretty sluggish and there's a few genuinely, I think, quite odd things here, particularly the fact that your gun has a limited amount of ammo, but that you're given so much ammo by the game in just like item pickups that I personally never felt like I was in any danger of running out. There's also fall damage, where if you fall down from a great height, you will lose some health, which is depicted by um, a series of police badges up at the top of the screen that then turn into a bulletproof vest when you've been damaged a little bit and then go away once you've taken a little bit more damage. You told me before about uh, an issue you had where there was an element that was actually an interactable hazard that looked like a background element. Yeah, so I don't think that the visual language of the levels is communicated all that well. There are you know, like certain levels with scaffolding where sometimes you can go through it and sometimes you can't. But one really annoying thing I found in this... Uh, level where I'm maybe in a parking garage. I wasn't even particularly sure, but I was I was trying to get to a mall where, of course, there were terrorists. You start on the bottom level and you have to go through doors to kind of keep going up. And you'll see these like shoots, like these giant vent looking things in the background. And then once I'm up at a, at a higher level, what I didn't realize is that if your sprite passes over the open vent at the top, you will fall through it and end up back at the bottom level. So it's almost like playing a game of shoots and ladders or something. And that was really annoying because I had no idea. I had no indication that that was what was going to happen the first time I saw that. What you were actually supposed to do was like sort of um, climb up on these bars. The, the game does have, you know, like some bars you can hang from and, you know, the characters can hand over hand their way from one end to the other, which is actually kind of neat. You know, I, I thought that stuff all worked well enough. And then when I finally got to the mall, for one thing, I, my objective became... I have to clear out the mall of all the enemies. I did not realize that. So I got to like what I thought was the end of the level and nothing was happening. I was like, what, what am I supposed to do right now? So I, it, it wasn't until, you know, like I went back and you know, was looking for a different exit. And then in the process of doing that, defeated all the enemies. And then suddenly the, the game like went to black. And then, you know, I was in another area. Also, like in that mall section, there's enemies like aiming downstairs and shooting at me that, you know, obviously I have to go up the stairs to get to them. But I cannot angle my shots up. Like, you can only shoot straight across. There wasn't a whole lot I could do other than just kind of take a little bit of damage and, and sort of damage boost my way up to the second floor and take out the enemies then. This game is close to being all right. Presentation-wise, it's okay. Like you mentioned, they've got the JPEGs from the movie of the characters. They've got little sound clips from uh, Danny Glover going, I'm too old for this when you switch over to him. And oddly enough of Mel Gibson's character saying, hey, Mo, like it's a Three Stooges impression Hi. when he changed to him. Is that something he says in like a lot of the movies? Because I do not remember i don't know honestly it's not a thing i remember yeah. but in any case maybe like the game needed to explain what was going on in the levels like you know they because they, they do have like a splash screen with text telling you why you're going to a level maybe just like a hey watch out for the shoot don't fall down the shoots or you know you need to clear out the mall of enemies something like that just letting me know what's going on we have seen some licensed games on the system at this point that are like very low effort games and I wouldn't really say that this is exactly one of those, but 
it just isn't enough. Like there's, there's too many problems with it to really make it an enjoyable. Yeah. I mean, I think that they do a pretty decent job, you know, like with the sprites of Murtaugh and Riggs, they kind of have like the big head thing going on. They're actually pretty cute sprites. They remind me a little bit of the other ocean published platform game that we played the Adams family. It's pretty charming. It works pretty well here. I think it does a better job of injecting the personality of the source material into a game like this than, you know, just trying to give them a more proportioned sprite. I mean, they don't exaggerate it nearly as much as they do in The Addams Family, which, again, I think works for this particular property. I think, like, doing it like they did in The Addams Family would look kind of silly to the point of just being kind of like, oh, I, I, no, I'm, I'm out. I, I can't even handle this. And, and it came like Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Yeah. Are we... Uh we thinking about ranking this one because i think i could rank this one i think we could rank it yeah let's do it you know i um i mean we, we've obviously already just brought up the adams family i don't think this goes anywhere near that we've got some really low ranked licensed games like robocop i think it's also considerably better than that yeah i would agree there i'm looking more if we're going to compare this to licensed stuff maybe something like i don't know maybe either spider-man and the x-men at 60 or roadrunners death valley rally at 74 what do you think is a better starting point i think roadrunners death valley rally is probably a better starting point just because i think spider-man and the x-men is ultimately more playable and just a more solid game design the other thing that's useful with roadrunners death valley rally is it is right next to james bond jr which is a game that I was thinking of when playing this one a little bit. I think this is better than James Bond Jr. I think so. I agree with that. Let let me put it this way. James Bond Jr. had two methods of of gameplay, and I don't think I really enjoyed either of them quite as much as I enjoyed the just basic gameplay of this one. Do you think maybe we have a a range then, somewhere between 75 James Bond Jr. and 60 Spider-Man and the X-Men? I would say so. Well, what if we kind of like go near the middle? We've got like Prince of Persia at number 66. Um, You know, these are two platformers, two 2D platformers. What do you think of this matchup here? I think that Prince of Persia probably... Even though I just don't think that game works very well, at least as it's done on the Super Nintendo, the design of that game has fewer obvious flaws than this does. The question, I guess, is like whether I actually think that makes it a... I think that just in general, just given the type of game it is, I probably would actually rather play Lethal Weapon. I am kind of leaning towards putting Lethal Weapon above Prince of Persia because I think that the learning curve for Prince of Persia is going to be a pretty big turnoff. I mean, like, I think if you're down for that, then yeah, absolutely play Prince of Persia over Lethal Weapon. But if you're just looking for a quick pick up and play kind of thing, I would definitely recommend Lethal Weapon over Prince of Persia. And I think that that's going to be just, you know, I think that's going to just have more broad appeal. We got Wing Commander at 65 right above that. I might put Lethal Weapon above Wing Commander, honestly, just because I found the at least the Super Nintendo version of Wing Commander, um, its flight stages were so difficult to even parse. And and looking at some of the criticism, it sounds like that is a common thing that maybe makes this version of Wing Commander far less playable than any other version that might be out there, or at least, you know, any other version that you could play on on a computer system. We got Strike Hunter STG at 64. I feel like we're, we're here a lot, aren't we? This game is surprisingly one of our, like, big inflection points on the list here like let's look all the way up at like 61 where we've got like lagoon i think lagoon is a more successful game than this is i may actually be pretty comfortable putting lethal weapon right below lagoon because i feel like it's broadly very playable i think that it's not weighed down by the technical limitations that true golf classics while i country club 
our number 62 game right now has. Okay. I wouldn't say that Lethal Weapon is one of the like standout platform games on the system, but it has enough good elements to it that I could see this being a game for, for somebody. Yeah, you know, I think I'm okay with that. So this will be our new number 62? Yeah. All right, so congratulations, Lethal Weapon. Not a terrible showing. And uh, huh. just as a reminder, um, all cops are still bad, especially that cop that's your friend or your family member who you think is okay. They're not okay. They are also bad. Yep, it's true. All right, well, with that all out of the way, I guess we're going to be moving on to another platformer, one that surprised me and then disappointed me and we'll yes we'll get into it i guess musia the classic japanese tale of horror yeah this was something that i've never played before nope me either uh this was something that i really knew very little about I looked it up online, watched some long play footage of the game, and I was like, wow, this is pretty neat, actually. There's a really cool Japanese horror motif going throughout this. You're sort of playing as a pikeman in um, feudal Japan, I guess, or like the sort of the Warring States era Japan, I think. Yeah, that's I believe that's correct, yeah. Last survivor of a battle. Yep, and he ends up in some kind of haunted place, uh, or a haunted village, I guess, and yeah. is being helped and also hindered by various spirits. It's interesting, again, that like it's just something that just kind of came out of nowhere for us, because uh, you know, we don't really know a whole lot about it. We didn't know a whole lot about it going into it. I was really hoping this would kind of be like hidden gem territory, like almost like a, a right. feudal Japanese-themed Castlevania, and that's kind of what it looked like as I was watching it then when i played it it was it's so close it is so close to being a really good game yeah do you want to talk about who made it because i think that might shed a little bit of light on this game's issues before we even get into talking about them yeah so this comes to us from developer jorudan who we've talked about pretty recently i think pretty in depth too i don't remember which game it was though a couple of games, actually. Uh, I believe it was both Imperium, the game we could not remember anything about last week. Oh, right. And also Zardion. Yeah, it's our old friends Jordan. They are back again. Okay, that does make a lot of sense. Those three games, those all are so close to being really, really great experiences, but they just don't seal the deal. Anyway, since we have talked about Jordan before, I'm going to focus a little bit more on publisher Seda, who I also think we've talked about. Um, I, I think we talked about them back in our F1 ROC episode, but we'll go over again real quick because there honestly isn't a whole lot of information out there about the company. But uh, Seda was short for Super Entertainment and Total Amusement. It's quite a title. Uh, they were founded in 1985 in Tokyo. They made games for the NES, Game Boy, Super NES, TurboGrafx-16, PlayStation, Sega Saturn, a few other consoles. Uh, their last game was Legend of Golfer for the GameCube, which only saw release in Japan and came out in 2004. A few other notable titles of theirs include The Adventures of Tom Sawyer for the NES, Battle Bowl for the Game Boy, which I believe was also made by Jorodon, and uh, okay. several other SNES games that we will get to, like Kakoma Night in Busyland, Kendo Rage, and, while we're on the topic of horror, Nosferatu. Oh, okay. They were acquired by Japanese pachinko, arcade, and slot machine manufacturer Aruze, which I'm assuming is how that's pronounced and not Aruz, but I don't actually know. Uh, that happened in 1999, and Aruze or Aruz would change their name to Universal Entertainment in 2009. 
Um, Arusé was at one point the parent company of SNK before that division went bankrupt and was sold to Playmore. Uh, the SNK story is one we will get into another day because that there's a story there. Seda would completely close their doors in 2009, a victim of the economic recession of the late aughts. And that is pretty much the story of Seda, as, as far as I can tell. Not a whole lot out there. So let's talk about Musia. This is a game that I agree, as, as is sort of the theme today, I wish I liked it more. I wish it was better. So it makes a good first impression, uh, some good kind of stage setting screens at the beginning, explaining the story, explaining how you are this pikeman who has wandered into this town uh, after being the sole survivor of a battle. The town's, um, I guess, priestess has been kidnapped and taken to the underworld and you have to go rescue her. That leads you into a series of side-scrolling Castlevania-ish levels where you were going through various sort of traditional Japanese uh, environments and fighting various spirits, yokai, monsters, um, things that uh, have a pretty strong visual identity, but also kind of continually assault you, you know, in endless waves. Almost Every enemy in this game just respawns constantly from its spawn point to the point where it's just obnoxious. Your controls are all right. Uh, I wish that there was a little bit more of like kind of a, I don't know, I guess like a unifying thought behind them. But there's a few different things you can do. You can do like a, a standard jump. You can attack forward or down with your pike. Uh, down really when you're jumping. Uh, you can also do a high jump by pressing up when you jump. And you can do a move that just makes you spin your pike around in in a circle. There's also a magic attack that you can use that is a consumable resource that you can find more of in the level. So that's pretty much your tool set here. Uh, Your guy is a very small sprite, but he's very heavy feeling. Like he does almost feel like a sort of classic Castlevania protagonist in that way, but you can change direction in the air when you're jumping. So that is a bit different from Castlevania. But the big problem is just really those enormous sort of waves of enemies. And the fact that the levels don't really seem all that well designed to accommodate both you and that many enemies at one time. Like there were times when, you know, I'm I'm kind of thinking like, okay, I'll take out these enemies and then I can progress safely. But they respawn so quickly. Like at the first level, there's these enemies that sort of drip down from the ceiling. You can see them attached to the ceiling before you pass under them. So your thinking is that, okay, I'll jump up, I can attack them, and I can destroy them, and then I'm fine. But no, they just respawn so quickly that you, I, I really did not see any way of getting past those enemies without just taking some damage. Yeah, I mean, this game gives you a pretty large life bar, honestly. But but it has to. Yeah, but it, it depletes very quickly. I can't really see much of a way to make progress in this game without getting hit. Yeah, um, a lot of the levels are, you know, not just horizontal, but have a lot of vertical elements as well. Sometimes you'll be kind of weaving your way through certain levels, you know, dropping down into deeper areas and to progress and things like that, which... It's kind of neat. I think some of the background elements are really cool. I think a lot of the enemies look amazing. Um, some of them are, are like kind of honestly grotesque in a pretty cool way. If if you know that is your kind of thing, like this is got a very strong visual design to it. That's you know again like 
on a system that didn't have a whole lot that could be considered horror come out on it. This has a pretty good horror aesthetic going on. It's pretty cool. It does, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, again, why I wish this game just played better. The high jump is very, very high, which is cool. It lets you explore a lot of the space. You know, I I rarely found myself in a situation where, like, I couldn't get up to something because I couldn't jump high enough. The exploration aspect of the levels was pretty well done. But, again, just the, the... the enemies just clog these spaces. You know, maybe one issue that they were anticipating was that people might just spam the spinning move where you're you're essentially, you know, untouchable, except for the fact that a lot of enemies take more than one hit to go down. So by the time they've touched you, they take damage, but now they're going to hit you again. You know, they're going to hit you before you can hit them again to actually defeat them. So I don't feel like that move really is the impenetrable defense that maybe they had envisioned. Also, I think that maybe a better way of handling that would have been to make it impenetrable, but also maybe give your character like a stamina meter that depletes when they use it so that they you can't just use it continuously. I got to a boss that was kind of neat. It was like a giant Tanuki that breathes fire at you. And and I like the way the Tanuki boss works. He gives you an opening to attack by, you know, drinking out of his gourd or whatever it is. But you also know, okay, he's going to start breathing fire at me. I need to go. You know, I thought that boss was well done. I would have liked to have seen more bosses in the game because in the second level, I got to a point where you're just on a plane and you're, you, you just move forward and there are, enemies constantly spawning all around you they're you know attacking way faster than you can react to again after watching the long play after the fact you know just kind of thinking like i don't know what i was supposed to do here it turns out the player in the long play just kept using the long jump to just basically run away from everything which and that doesn't seem right that doesn't seem like that should be the like intended strategy for this yeah, it's, it's it's disappointing that you've got such a great visual design. And I think, you know, a pretty decent move set. That one decision to, to spam enemies at you, it takes away so much from everything else this game's got going for it. Yeah, and it's particularly disappointing here because I think that a lot of games will do the whole enemy spamming thing as a sort of crutch because the, the people who made it don't understand good level design and are just artificially inflating the difficulty by throwing enemies at you. But I think that these levels are actually pretty, like the ones that I saw anyway, were pretty well designed. And so the fact that they also put all these constantly respawning enemies in, it just didn't even feel necessary. Again, like, oh, it's so close. It's it's frustrating in a way because there's just so much good about this game and it just feels like it threw it all away with this unnecessarily... Um, difficult and and frustrating mechanic. I I really thought we finally had a game that I could like confidently say, oh, this is a hidden gem. This is one not a lot of people know about, and it's really, really good. And I just, I can't quite give it that. There's just almost no horror related stuff on the system at all. Certainly not that came out in, in the West for sure. Yeah. And there's so few things that, you know, again, I can call like hidden gems because the super NES is such well-trod territory that I, yeah, I just really want to make this game work. I guess let's go ahead and look at the list and see where we, uh, where we think this needs to go. Well, I definitely think this is a, a much better thing than Zardion. To be clear about Zardion, the main thing that saves Zardion 
at all is the the quality like world building and like fiction that surrounds it the actual game itself is is very is very poor and this is definitely a lot better than that uh in in many ways I think it still does a pretty decent job of world building here. I don't think it's much as much the focus of the game as it was in Zardion, but I, that's okay. I mean, it's fine for what it is. It's giving you a good aesthetic and a good a good sort of sense of personality. I don't even know where a good place to start for this one is. I've got a couple of ideas. What do you think about our number 95 game, Chuck Rock? Oh, I like this way better than Chuck Rock. Like, I like this a lot better than Super Adventure Island, because I think Super Adventure Island is just boring and and takes steps backwards where do we have super adventure island right now um that one's at 79 so if we go up from there we actually get back to uh the area that we were just talking about where we've got roadrunners death valley rally and james bond jr at 75 and 76 i'm gonna jump up quite a bit here and i i think it's gonna fall probably considerably from where i'm about to suggest but super double dragon i know i like super double dragon more than this ultimately but you know like it's I wanted to like this more than Super Double Dragon. I wanted this to work better than Super Double, Super Double Dragon because of, you know, just how unique it is in this particular library. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it just kind of falls apart. So I think it goes down from there. I, I don't know how far down it goes, though. Maybe we go down to, like, Spider-Man and the X-Men at number 60 and talk about that? Uh, yeah, we could do that. Just to make this easier, I do think that I liked Musia more than Lethal Weapon. Okay. Lethal Weapon 62, then we got Lagoon, and then Spider-Man and the X-Men Arcade's Revenge. The the big issue, I guess, with Super with with, with Spider-Man and the X-Men is how inconsistent that game is. Like that there's some levels that are incredibly frustrating and obnoxious and don't even feel like they were really like designed for the same game as the other levels. Even though I found Musia pretty frustrating to play, I don't know that I found anything in it as annoying as the Cyclops levels in in uh, Spider-Man and the X-Men with their, you know, weird angles that you have to shoot things at and the numerous instant death traps. On the other hand, you know, I, I actually do think like the Wolverine stages in Spider-Man and the X-Men are pretty fun. Maybe more fun than anything in Musia. I would say maybe on balance, I think there's more fun in Spider-Man and the X-Men than Musia. Like, we definitely agree the Cyclops levels are garbage. The Storm levels are maybe kind of on the bubble because <laughs> she's underwater. <laughs> I think the Wolverine and Spider-Man levels are, are pretty good, except for that introductory Spider-Man level that's really bad because you have to play it before you can play anything else anytime you start the game or game over. The Gambit levels are... Mm, something I don't think we brought up in the Spider-Man and the X-Men review is uh, Gambit's second level, which we probably didn't even get to, is actually total BS. He's on a scaffolding that is rising, and you have to avoid being crushed, basically, there is at least one section there where you have to pick one of two paths. You cannot see what's at the end of either of them. When you pick it, one of them just leads to death. That's terrible. Yeah, I definitely did not get to that level. Yeah, I didn't know about that. And that that sucks. That super sucks. Um, Boy, so where does that leave us then? I guess it leaves us with Musia as a game that has a pretty distinctive and fun aesthetic and gameplay that's flawed, but in a way that's fairly consistent, at least. I don't know, maybe that gives it a slight edge on Spider-Man and the X-Men. I mean, you know, if nothing else, like, you've got Spider-Man and the X-Men, 
you've got this really off the wall, inconsistent kind of aesthetic to it. Whereas this one, like it knows what it's going for and they nail it with Musia. You know what? Maybe just on presentation alone, maybe Musia gets the edge. Maybe it does. Um, that being said, I don't know how much further up I want this to travel. Definitely don't think it like goes past say Krusty's super fun house at 56. I agree. I would say I would maybe stop it before firepower 2000. Between Arcana and Firepower 2000 might be where I would want it to go. Okay, so maybe our new number 58. I think I could live with that, because I think I would probably... I I would definitely try this again before I would give Arcana another shot. So congratulations, Musia. Actually, I think a pretty good showing for that game. Not the highest rated Jorudan game we have, but the list has a lot more things on it now than it did when we put Imperium on here, so... Yeah, again, you know, Jorudan, just the studio of, like... Some really strong ideas and maybe just not quite the, I don't know, experience or technical know-how to really execute on those to give those ideas the games they deserved. But I, I think we're kind of given this one a lot of extra credit on on its on its aesthetic, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we just have one more game to get to today. All right. And it's a sports game. <laughs> Are you ready for some hockey? Let's play some more sports ball. Well, not ball in this case, some sports puck. This game, the official title of which is NHLPA 93. What is the PA? Players Association. Aha, got it, got it, yeah. EA couldn't get the actual NHL license for this, so uh, but they do have the Players Association, which I would argue is maybe more important than just getting the team names, because you've actually got players in there, you've got stats based on how those players were doing um, in that particular season. That does seem like a more meaningful thing than just having, like, the logos on the jerseys. You can still have the city names, like, you know, we know who these are. We know who the team in Montreal is. The Maple Leafs? That might be Toronto, actually. It turns out it's the Canadians. The Montreal Canadians. That's their name. Okay, so maybe we don't know the team names, but it's fine. This isn't a thing of us against hockey. We just don't really know much about sports in general. So we are talking about hockey. We are talking about EA again, who I, I think we've talked about plenty. You know, and, and we will continue to bring up because they... They were a big name even back then. As today, a big name in sports games, though not exclusively the only name in sports games as they tend to be for several sports these days. They are not the only people involved in this, are they? They are not. So uh, just like this is, I believe, the last hockey game that EA would not have the actual NHL license for, this is also the last hockey game that they contracted out to another company. In this case, it was Park Place Productions. So, uh, yeah, they handled the development of uh, a few of EA's early sports titles, uh, including some of the early Madden games. EA's relationship with the company was kind of brief, as was the company's existence. They were founded in 1989 by Michael Anthony Knox, Troy Linden, and Stephen Quinn. The company saw massive success early on with their first game, ABC Monday Night Football, for the Amiga and C64. They also developed the first console Madden game for the Sega Genesis in 1990. They quickly ballooned into the largest independent game developer in North America. But this meteoric rise was followed by an almost as speedy demise. 
1991, they lost programmer Jim Simmons to EA. Simmons had done a lot of the heavy lifting on developing the Genesis port of Madden, and EA figured they could save money by taking on the development in-house and just kind of picked him up from the company. <laughs> but uh, despite this, the company would keep developing games for a few years until all the work started to catch up with them, causing them to miss deadlines, which in turn caused the publishers to withhold money, leaving the company unable to pay their employees. They just took on a lot more contract work than they were capable of handling at one time. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Crunch these past two episodes, and maybe this is yep. kind of broaching that topic again. It, it sure seems like it. So, And this is even worse, because the people who were the victims of Crunch were probably not being paid after the companies contracting them cut them off. God, those poor people. That sounds like an absolute nightmare. So this, among other problems, left employees very unhappy with Knox. Uh, Sony stepped in to actually buy the company, but Knox refused, making the situation worse and causing many employees to simply leave and join Sony ImageSoft anyway in late 1993. The company would collapse soon after. Knox actually passed away from colon cancer in 2009, and uh, Linden, uh, perhaps an even worse fate, would go on to form a Christian software company left behind games in 2001. Oh, no! Yikes! I gotta say, this is a bad story. Like this, <laughs> every aspect of this is bad. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no no happy endings here. Well, maybe except for the folks who joined Sony ImageSoft. Hopefully, things went well for them. Hopefully, yeah. In any case, that is pretty much uh, Park Place Productions, only really in existence for a couple of years. A huge rise and a devastating fall. Back to NHLPA 93. It's a hockey game. It's a hockey game. You can't say it's not. It's it, it sure is a hockey game. The first hockey game we've covered on the system thus far. And uh, yeah, I mean, as somebody who doesn't have a lot of experience with hockey games, this seems like an OK one of those. Yeah, I think it's pretty fun. I don't have a ton of experience with video game hockey games or with the sport of hockey itself, but I think this translates pretty well to a very arcadey pick up and play game. You know, you have a sort sort of behind the players backs overhead perspective on the, the hockey rink and the controls are are, I think, pretty intuitive. You know, you can switch essentially to uh, controlling whichever one of the players on your team is closest to the puck if you don't have it by pressing a button. There are buttons to pass and shoot. And yeah, there's a few different things that can happen. Uh, it is possible to get into fights, which is kind of interesting whenever that happens. And the game itself is, you know, I think very easy to get into. There's some not particularly intuitive menus that surround all of this. I was having trouble even figuring out like which team I was going to be controlling from that menu. Like that menu is real hard to parse. But other than that, yeah, you know, I found the game was pretty intuitive. I don't think this is quite as intuitive as, say, like some of the soccer games that we've played. But it's it's not bad, though, certainly. It's, it's certainly easier to just pick up and play than any of the football games that we've played. Or, I should say American football games. I don't know. I didn't put on a whole lot of time with this because, again, you know, I felt like this is probably pretty good for one of these, but it's still a little bit over my head and just more than I want to dive into. I will say this in doing research for the game. I found out that in 2001, 
uh, Game Informer had a list of like their favorite games of all time. This was number twenty on that list. Goodness, wow! I think if you if you like hockey games, this is a this is a good one of those. I, I haven't played a ton of them, but. I found this game approachable and and extremely playable. Yeah, and really when it comes to stuff like this, I don't really know what more there is to say. The presentation seems nice. Uh, there's no music while you're playing the game, but you, you've got like... I think you've got like crowd noise and stuff like that, yeah. And the graphics are the graphics are good. They are not really trying to do much in the way of like a stylized aesthetic. You know, it's a pretty straightforward, pseudo realistic look to everything. Very clean, easy to see kind of where the players are, where the puck is. I never had any problems like parsing the game in them. Yeah, I think they did a pretty decent job there. Um another interesting thing is that you can actually set what penalties will be called like you can you can have it set to only fighting for example um in in some other modes like that so you've got some control over like how often the game is going to stop yeah i found that interesting that that seemed like you know that's not really a feature i've seen in a lot of sports games up to this point yeah i don't know if i've got a whole lot else to say about it because again it's just kind of did you have anything else no i i don't really i think this is this is fine so i guess we'll head over to the list we've got um Play action football in both the John Madden games that we've played so far at numbers 53, 54, and 55, just all in one big clump. Yeah. Um, I think this is better than those. I agree. I feel like it's much more immediately approachable, and I see no issue with going up from here. Okay. How do you feel this game ranks when compared to Super Soccer at 39, which is not our highest ranked soccer game, but is pretty close? So uh, Super Soccer was was also very uh very easily you know pick up and play approachable i do think that i found super soccer a little bit more visually impressive than this i think that its use of mode 7 to do kind of a pseudo 3d effect on the field was really cool and i don't really think this game is doing anything quite like that i would say um going down a few spaces i think i would actually put this game above rival turf at 42 because i don't think it's got okay the problems with jank that that game did yeah i would agree with that so we've got dino city above rival turf and uh, what do you think about that matchup dino city wasn't bad but i can't think of anything that really stands out about it that would make me say that i would put this game below it like i i think i would put this game above dino city okay i think i might put it above magic sword too okay so we're talking then about like kind of just below super soccer then i think so are you good with that i am good with that yeah i think that like i said even if this type of game isn't particularly for us i can't really deny that it's it's well put together and that it is um very straightforwardly fun version of hockey i think i am actually good with that with nhlpa 93 hockey being our new number 40 game and that's three games down and we are just moving right along through the month of december so this is exciting three games today that were that just were so close that really was just the theme of of today nhl you know like really close to being something that even i as a not sports fan would really really be able to get into but just still just a little bit over my head lethal weapon being so close to like being better than your average license game and musia being so close to being just amazing (laughs) and all of them just kind of falling a little bit short once again as i as i always say is is one of the cool things about going through every game on the system is that you find things that you can see that there was a lot of 
care and effort put into something and it didn't quite make it. Those games are cool to to discover in here, even if they unfortunately sometimes don't don't really come together the way you'd want them to. I guess with that, we will uh, start wrapping things up here. We ought to tell everybody what we're going to be playing next time. And I uh, hope you guys are ready for some more sports. Yeah, because we've we got them. We've got NBA All Star Challenge. We've got Jimmy Connors Pro Tennis Tour, and then we've also got Jeopardy. All right. I am curious to see how they do with Jeopardy. I've played a couple of old console and computer game versions of Jeopardy before. They are generally not great. That is not a game that easily translates to a controller setup, but we will see. Hopefully it's better than Wheel of Fortune, but I can't imagine... (laughs) How it could be, but we'll see. We'll see how it works. So um, in any case, folks, I, I guess this is the end of the podcast, so it is time to get serious. You know, something I just wanted to say today, you know, folks think that leftists like us, when we say abolish the police, they think we're saying, hey, get rid of all the prisons. And you know what? No, we're not saying that. We're not saying get rid of all the prisons. We're definitely saying Uh, Let's stop the school to prison pipeline that exists in this country. And we're definitely saying let's get rid of all of private prisons. This is not something that should be privatized and that should be done away with. But we definitely needed to leave some prisons in place. Um, For example, the police officers who murdered Breonna Taylor in her home are still free and they belong in one. They sure do. Yeah. So uh, that's all I wanted to say today. (laughs) Did you have anything? Uh, No, I I think that's a good note to end on here. And as always, uh, thank you all very much for listening and uh we hope you come back next time too yeah thank you all very very much as always and uh, until next time i'm steampunk Lake. i'm emmy zero play it loud Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoax, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoax.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. I've served this command for over Answer 30. the question! Did you order the Rodeo Burger? You're darn right I did. It was flame-broiled and delicious. You can't handle the Rodeo Burger.